Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. We're going to continue in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're going to pick up at verse 10, read verses 10 through 14. And today, the thought I want to leave with you is nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. When we put our hands in the hand of the man from Galilee, nothing is lost. And so we're going to look at this text closely today as we continue to go through and we'll see what the Lord wants to teach us today. Verse 10 reads, Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now you may recall from last week that this started when Jesus tested Philip. And the Bible said that Jesus knew what he would do before he did it. But Philip's response to the test was to say, Lord, if we had 200 denarii or 2,000 donkeys, we wouldn't have enough to feed all these people. And we read in this text today that Jesus told them to organize the people, make them sit down. Sometimes he's got to make us sit down. David said it this way, he maketh us to lie down in green pastures. He knows what's best. So he made them sit down, and the number of men, not including women and children, were 5,000. And we know the two fish and five loaves came from a young lad. That young lad had a little it was supposed to be his lunch. And in the Lord's hands, in the master's hands, they had as much as they wanted. It went from the perception of one of his disciples that there is not nearly enough. And even if we went out and bought with a great price, there would not be enough. But there's no secret what the Lord can do when we put what we have in his hands. You might feel like you've got a little, but with Jesus, it's much. 
You might feel like you don't have what it takes, but in his hands, you've got more than what it takes. They found that they had more than enough. All they wanted, all the fish they could eat, all the bread that their stomachs could hold. Now this began when the people followed him in the wilderness because they saw the signs that he did. And you see in the last verse, it says, when the men saw, when they had saw the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. They saw the sign, but they didn't see Jesus. They saw the sign, but they didn't know who he was because he's more than a prophet. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But what was this all about? What was he trying to communicate to them? And what is he saying to us today? Because oftentimes we miss the spirit. Even if we get the letter and we miss the spirit, we miss God. We miss what he's saying. We miss what he's doing. And these people had Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, the savior of the world, the redeemer of all humankind, right in front of them. And their focus was on what he could do for them and not who he was. We never want to find ourselves in a place or in a, a point in time where our focus, our interest, is on what the Lord can do more than who he is. We want to know him and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection because it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. He is the source of life. He's better than life because without him, there is no life. Anyone who's not in him is perishing. But those that are in him, have become non-perishable because whoever believes in him shall not perish. And so God wants us to see him and to learn of him and to grow in grace and in knowledge of him. So I want you to notice something, that first of all, this was the beginning of an opportunity to commune with the Son of God. Just as he did at the Last Supper, he took the bread and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them. He did the same thing here. He took the bread and when he gave thanks, he distributed it to the disciples and the disciples to the people. That's how he feeds us. He takes the bread because he is the bread of life and he gives it to those who he's appointed to teach and now they're to give that bread to the people. But what was this really about? It started with two fish and five loaves. But when they took up the fragments, what was left was bread. And there's no mention of fish in the fragments. Look at the text carefully. There's no mention of fish, but people ate all that they wanted. They were satisfied. They had as much fish 
and bread as they could eat. But the 12 fragments or baskets were filled with bread. Jesus, when he called his disciples, said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So there's a role for the fish in this story. And Jesus is, is telling us that the fish that he, that he caught, he was feeding the bread. But it wasn't the natural bread, because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And they couldn't perceive it. They didn't get it. But God wants us to get it today. The bread of life, which came down from heaven, was represented in those barley loaves. And even after they had everything they wanted, there was some left over, because he's more than enough. He is more than enough. Whatever you need, he'll satisfy your needs and then there'll be more to supply your needs that are to come. He's more than enough. There's always something left over because we can't consume him. He's inconsumable. He's immutable. He's too big for us to consume. The fish will consume, but the bread still abode. The only thing that was left over was the bread. And as you'll see in the coming weeks, he's going to try to explain to them what that bread represents, and they're not going to get it. They think he's talking about cannibalization because they can't see spiritually. But I want you to know that bread that came down from heaven will satisfy you. The prophet Isaiah said, come, all you who thirst, come to the waters and drink. He said, why do you spend money for bread that doesn't satisfy? I want you to know you can toil, you can work, you can be frustrated and not be satisfied. I don't care how much money you make. There's not satisfaction in that. The satisfaction is in the bread of life. Somebody type bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread. He's the bread and he's the wine. They had communion with bread and not wine because it wasn't time for the wine. The blood was far from being shed. And so he brings them together. He begins to introduce the bread of life. And what they see are the signs and they perceive him to be a prophet. But I want you to know he's more than a prophet. He's more than a prophet. Here's what John said. They, first of all, they thought he was the forerunner. They perceived him to be John the Baptist, even though they didn't know who John was. We're going to look at that in a little bit. They saw him as the forerunner and not the Messiah because they were fixated on the signs. In fact, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, in the last chapter, the fourth chapter, next to the last verse, Malachi 4 and 5, there are six verses, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great day of the Lord. 
And so they understood what was written in the, in the scrolls. They understood what was written in the Torah. And when they saw Jesus do what he did, they said, this has got to be that prophet. And they didn't understand as much as he tried to communicate with them. He spent days with them trying to help them understand who he was, but they couldn't see it because they already had in their mind a doctrine and a framework of who the Messiah was going to be, and Jesus didn't fit that description. They also had in their mind who the fore, what the forerunner was going to be. The forerunner had already been with them, and they didn't even recognize him. The thing about religious doctrine without the Spirit of God is that it can mislead us. And that's why Jesus said, if you remember from last week, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In other words, if their doctrine is what guides you, you need to beware because there's some stuff that you've been taught that I've got to undo in order for you to know and understand and discern and see the new thing that I'm doing. You're holding on to something that doesn't lead to me. It doesn't lead to life. I'm trying to show you the way that is narrow, that is straight, that only few shall find, but it leads to life. What Jesus was about was imparting everlasting life. And as we go deeper into this chapter, you'll see that's what it was about. And they missed it because they were so focused on their needs in the moment. They couldn't see what he was saying. In Matthew 17, verses 10 through 13, it makes the point about the forerunner, the prophet who they thought Jesus was. But he's more than a prophet. And with him, nothing is lost. Matthew 17 and 10 reads, and I'm going to read 10 through 13. And his disciples called him asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Now their curiosity was born out of, they're like, Lord, you're here right now. We've been with you almost three years. We know who you are, but they say Elijah must come first. Why do they say that? And the other question that they didn't ask is where's Elijah? We've been looking for Elijah. In fact, that's a pretty curious question that the scribes and the Pharisees have, that Elijah is supposed to come first. We see you here, and we haven't seen Elijah. And so Jesus does what he always does. He, start, he teaches them. He gives them a word in a way that they could understand. At first, if you don't get it, be patient with him because he'll break it down. He'll make it plain. He'll speak to you and to me in a language that we understand because he wants us to know the truth because it's the truth that makes us free. Everything else is bondage. And his intent, what he got, what he received from his father, is that nothing is to be lost. Nothing is to be lost. Everything 
that is in his hands shall be kept. It must be kept. He then goes on to say in verse 11, Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. So he didn't dispute the letter of the law or the letter of the word. He says, yes, Elijah is going to come first, but let's keep reading. But I say to you that Elijah has already come and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. We, like the disciples, need to be taught by Jesus every day. Even though they were with him, and even though some of them were disciples of John the Baptist, Andrew, the brother of, of Peter, was a disciple of John the Baptist, but they didn't understand that. When you're living in the moment, you understand the circumstances and the things that you're experiencing, but God has something bigger. God has something better and deeper that he's trying to impart to us and communicate. And if we are sensitive, we can hear it. We can see it by the Spirit of God. He'll reveal it to us. But if we're only focused on that thing that we're experiencing in time, we can miss God. They were with him, and they didn't really know him. The people who saw the signs were so focused on the signs that they missed Jesus. And so Jesus is now saying to them, Elijah has come. He's already come. And they did with him what he, they will. John the Baptist ended up beheaded. And the people respected him. They counted him a prophet. In fact, one day, the elders and the scribes challenged Jesus, the Bible says, to test him. And they asked him a question. By what authority do you do these things that you do? What authority? Because they realized that Jesus taught different than the rabbis. When he taught, he taught with authority. The words that he spoke were spirit and life. And they said, where does this come from? And Jesus said, I'm, I have to ask you a question. The baptism of John, is it of, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned among themselves. They say, if we say it's from heaven, then Jesus will say, why didn't you believe him? And he, they said, if we say it's of men, the people will stone us because they count him a prophet. And so they ended up saying, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you. And that's how he dealt with those individuals who wanted so bad to be right that they wouldn't even listen to the truth. Why wouldn't the elders and the scribes say, you know what? What John did was from heaven. And we were disobedient. We were out of order. But when you get so recalcitrant, so dug in to whatever it is that you're holding on to, especially those things that you, according to your doctrine, use to shape 
the Lord in your image and your likeness or our image and our likeness versus us being shaped by him is dangerous. That doctrine is dangerous. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It is very important that we understand the spiritual things that God is imparting. He cares about our whole being. He takes care of us. He will never forsake us. He is faithful. But the things that are eternal are the things that are not seen. The things that are temporal are the things that are seen. And where their focus was all of the time, virtually, was on temporal things that were seen. And he was trying to communicate things that were not seen so that they can be lifted up higher and they refused to go. God let it be far from us not to see the things that are not seen. Our eyes are blessed because they see. God, you've, you've caused us to, to understand and to see the secret things because you've revealed them to us by your spirit. And so God, we endeavor to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh because we want to understand you. We want to know you. We want to be with you. We want to be like you. Jesus is so much more than a prophet. And John, the same writer of this book, when he comes to the end of the book, John 21 and 25, John 21 is the last chapter. There are 26 verses. Verse 25 says this, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And then John says, amen. What John is telling us is that there's so many wonders, so many miracles, so many signs that Jesus did, that if they were written one by one, the world would collapse. It couldn't hold all the books. And even with all of that, the people of his day crucified him. What does that tell us? That the purpose of signs is not to bring salvation, or it doesn't necessarily bring salvation. Let me say it that way. The purpose of signs is for us to know that God is real, that God is real, and to get up, to draw us closer to him. But the people who saw the signs wanted more of the signs because they wanted the benefits of what Jesus was doing. Heal me, Lord. Give me bread. Do all of those things, but as we will see as we go deeper and deeper in the weeks to come, when they were confronted with the truth, they walked away. And it's a challenge even till this day. Even till this day. A gospel that says you, you have everything you want and more than you need is more popular than the truth that there, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. 
In this world, you're going to have tribulation. And there are going to be days where you have pain, but we're of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. He'll bring us through it. He'll be with us in it. But it doesn't mean it's not going to come. Many people are shipwrecked because they come to the faith believing that everything now, all my troubles are going to go away. What goes away is your sin. What goes away is the death that's working in you. What, co what, comes, what comes to you is life. And life in him is always good. That's why Daniel, even when he was facing certain death, gave thanks. Because he had learned from his youth to honor God in all situations. He didn't go complaining. He didn't go murmuring. He didn't go petitioning God to get me out or to change this. He gave thanks, even though he was facing certain death. Let that be a lesson to us all. May we learn to honor God with our lives. May we learn to be faithful no matter what situation we're in. May we see God in everything and not just look for what God can do. Let's see God for who he is. I want to be like Moses and say, God, show me your form. God, I need to see your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, I'll show you my hinder parts. All I need to see is your back, God, and that's enough for me. That's more than enough, but God, I need to know you. God, I need to learn more about you. I want to be nearer to you, nearer my God to thee. That is the goal of everyone who loves God is that we just want to be close to him. He's the lover of our soul. We know that in him we're secure. Nothing is lost. No one can pluck us out of his hands. He's greater than all. He's got all power in his hands. There's no one who can overthrow him, who can overtake him. He rebukes the devourer for our sakes. And so no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, he's near to you. He's closer than a brother. He's not far from you. The devil is lying to you. You're not alone. You're never alone. God is everywhere all the time, and he cares about you. He's thinking about you. He thinks about you so much that every hair on your head is numbered. Not the number of hairs, but every single hair. He knows every detail about you. He knows when you cry. He knows your deepest, most concerns. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through before you go through it, and he's there to carry you. He wants to rock you to sleep. In all those sleepless nights, God is saying, I'm right here, right by your bedside. I want to rock you to sleep. I want to sing you a lullaby. I want you to sing a love song to me. I need to know that you know that I'm here and that I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. I want you to know that the God we serve is greater than a sign. The purpose of the sign is for us to know that he's real. Is there anybody out there who knows God is real? He's real, I know. God is real. This is not a fiction. This is not a fairy tale. Jesus is real. Jesus is real, and he wants the world to know that he is real. And these people who saw the healings, 
who ate the bread and the fish, who took up 12 baskets of bread, did not understand that he was the bread of life. They just didn't get it because they were seeing through natural eyes. God, may we have spiritual eyes to see you because you are a spirit. And those who worship you must, must worship you in spirit and in truth. The words that you speak, they are spirit and they are life. God, deliver us from the letter alone. There are so many who understand the letter, but they don't understand you. That know how to read and comprehend the letter, but they can't see you. These people who you were right in front of rejected the prince of life, rejected eternal life. Let's go a little bit deeper into this to make the point. The people that were sitting on the grass, when they saw what Jesus did with little, came to the conclusion, this is surely the prophet who is to come. And I'm arguing today that he's more than a prophet. But there was a time when Jesus was with his disciples because of this experience, and he does this to us even till this day, through the Spirit of God, is teaching us so that we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices, so that we don't give place to the devil, and so that we don't fall into traps that keep us boxed in to the temporal. He wants us to know that eternity begins the day you believe on him. This is eternal life, that you believe on him who God has sent. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17 reads, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist. Those people thought Jesus was the prophet who was to come, which means the forerunner of the Messiah. So they thought he was John the Baptist. Some say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's the essential question. Do I know him? Do you know him? I know what the crowd says, but what do you say? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus makes clear that knowing him comes by revelation only, not by flesh and blood. 
You can't learn who Jesus is by going to seminary. Going to seminary is good, but it's for training. But if you want to know him, you have to have it revealed by the Father in heaven and by the Spirit of God that's dwelling in the earth in this dispensation of time. The Spirit that Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter. And he's not going to leave you orphans, but he's going to lead and guide you into all truth. Jesus, who is the truth, the way we know him is by revelation. Now, revelation also requires vigilance and diligence. What am I saying? The same Peter who was called blessed, when Jesus started to tell them what was going to happen to him and about his crucifixion, the Bible says Peter rebuked him and said, Lord, far be it from you. This is not going to happen to you. Now, why did Peter say this? Because Peter and all the 12 and all those who were looking for the Messiah in the Jewish faith saw the Messiah as a conquering king who was going to come and overthrow the Roman government so that in their temporal existence, they would be free. They didn't realize that God had a much bigger plan to release them eternally. And so Peter is saying, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. You're the Messiah. You just said that your Father in heaven revealed that to me, and based on that revelation, this can't happen to you. He was conflating the revelation that he received of who Jesus was with God's plan. Peter's plan, because he had been taught from his youth that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to set us free from our enemies. And he is, and he will, and he does. But the enemy was bigger than the Roman government. The enemy is bigger than anyone on earth. Our enemy is Lucifer. Our enemy is the one who wreaks spiritual havoc. Our enemy is the one that's causing murders and all the things that are happening. That's the one who Jesus is coming and to bruise his head. The other stuff is temporal. And he missed that even though he had a revelation of who Jesus was. He had a plan of what Jesus was to do. Rather than seeking God's plan for what Jesus was to do, he was communicating his own plan to Jesus himself. If Peter can do that, I know I'm at risk of doing that. And that's why we stay in the word. That's why we want to be taught daily. That's why we need the bread of life. See, the manna was to teach us that we need the bread of life daily. Because when the manna came from heaven, if you didn't consume it that day, the, God said, give some to your neighbors. Because it will stink the next, next day. It won't do you any good. You need fresh manna every day. And every day we need fresh manna so that we can stay on the straight and on the narrow. But here's what Jesus said to the same Peter that he said was blessed and who had seen, received the revelation. He said, get behind me, Satan. Because he knew that the, the frame of mind that Peter was in was not of God. The revelation was of God, but his image of the plan of God 
was not of God. It was of Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He said, for you savor not the things of God, but the things of men. You see through a temporary lens. You don't understand that what I'm, I'm going to go through is the only way that you're going to have deliverance. You're not going to have, you'll have deliverance temporarily if I overthrow the Roman government because, because after that, guess what? You're still going to die. Lazarus, when Jesus raised him from the grave, he did it to show people the glory of God, but Lazarus still fell asleep. He still fell asleep. It was temporal. Jesus is trying to lead us in the way of everlasting. And he get, after this revelation, Peter gave place to the devil. Now I want to take that a little bit, a little bit further. Judas did not betray, betray Jesus because he didn't love him. On the contrary, he loved him. He believed in him. Now, I know this sounds like sacrilege, that Judas believed in him, his betrayer. But while they were sitting around the table, the Bible tells us that Satan entered his heart. He entered his heart. Now, Judas had already made a deal, but then Satan entered his heart to make sure he went through, through with it. See, the devil knows, the devil knows and is aware of our propensities, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. But I'm glad to give you good news that when you're weak, when I'm weak, then we're strong in the Lord because his grace is sufficient. That's why we always want to be found in him. But Judas didn't betray him because he wanted him dead. That's why Judas felt so bad he threw away the 30, he didn't do it for the money. He didn't even keep the silver. He threw it away, Bishop. He threw it away. And then he took his own life because what Judas was hoping to do was to provoke a response from Jesus. He said, I know Jesus is the Messiah and nobody can handle him. He will take Rome and put him under his feet. So what Jesus, what Judas was hoping was that when they came to arrest Jesus, that Jesus would rise up as the king and overthrow them and take them down. When Jesus submitted himself, Judas felt bad. He didn't kiss him to betray him. He kissed him, master. I know this is the moment. This is it. Do your thing. Go get him, Jesus. But what they did, what Judas didn't understand was that wasn't God's plan. And Bishop, God wants us to know that he has plans for us and we can't make up in our mind what we want God to be and what, he want, what we want him to do. Jesus the Christ had to go through something hard, something we'll never endure. He prayed until sweat was like blood. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then he submitted and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We've got to be willing to submit to the will of God. We've got to see God's plan, even if we don't like it. We've got to look 
to him because we can trust him. We can trust him better than our own intellect, better than our own plans, because God can see the beginning, the beginning and end all at the same time. He's the first and he's the last. And so what compelled Judas to do it is that he gave place to the devil. That's why the Bible tells us, give no place to the devil. Give no place to the devil. He's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I want you to know he can't devour everybody. If you're in Jesus, he can't touch you. He can't touch you because the Lord is greater than all. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and nothing is lost in him. And so even when people are well-meaning, like Peter, they can slip, have a revelation one moment, and then savor the things that are of men. They miss the eternal way that the Lord is trying to lead us. Or like Judas, who believes in him so much that he thinks his deliverance is going to come by provoking him to respond or react to the Romans. But because it wasn't the plan of God, he was disappointed. God is saying to me right now, some of you are disappointed. You're disappointed because you've done what you're, you've tried, what you think God ought to do. Stop thinking about what God ought to do and submit to yourself, submit yourself to what God is doing. That's the only way. If Jesus had to submit himself to what his father was doing, what about you and I? We want to be like him. We want to be in his image and likeness. Too many people for too many centuries have tried to make him into our image and into our likeness to do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, how we think he should do it. And that's why disappointment comes because God's ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heaven are is from the earth, so are his thoughts from our thoughts and his ways from our ways. And so we need to constantly consume the bread of life so that we can learn of him. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. I'm meek and lowly of heart, for my burden is easy and my yoke is life. I'm tired of carrying heavy burdens, and heavy burdens are now a sign that it's not of God because his burdens are light. If it's heavy, you need to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us so that we can run with patience this race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. These people who had him right in front of them missed him. I don't want you to miss him. I don't want to miss him. I want to be ready when he comes. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. They used to sing a song when I was young, a little boy, get in the word and stay there. Get ready when Jesus comes. We don't 
have time to get ready, we got to be ready. Because when the trumpet sounds, you, there's no time to go get oil. You better have your lamp trimmed and full of oil. And that's why we need to consume this bread every day. You can fast natural food, but don't fast the bread of life. The bread of life is in such abundance that when you've had your fill, there's more. And nothing is lost. There, nothing is lost. There was more bread, but not more fish, because we're the fish. He's fishing for us. And the great fisher in heaven catches us, not with bait, but with bread. He feeds us so that we can grow. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Somebody type, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. And as we bring this to a close, these are the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 39. He said, and he's talking to these people, the same crowd. He's trying to get through to them. And they're just not getting it because they already have thoughts formed about who the Messiah is and Jesus isn't it. Even though he was, they couldn't see him for what he was. And everyone, the same John says, we ought to, whoever is born of God, those of us who believe in him, purifies ourselves. And everyone who has this hope that Jesus is coming back purifies herself just as he is pure. I want to be pure like him. Here's what he says in John 6 and 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but shall raise it up at the last day. He's trying to tell them this is about eternal life. It's not the, the, the bread that your fathers got in the wilderness, that manna, that wasn't the true bread. I'm the true bread. I'm coming so that everyone that the Father has given me, nothing is lost. Another way to say it in contemporary English, no one is lost. He doesn't want any of us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Even these people who wanted God for what he could do and not because of who he was. You know, if you go into any relationship that isn't based on real, genuine, pure love, I love you because of who you are. And I mean it when I say for richer or for poorer. But if someone goes into a relationship because someone is famous and they're rich, and that's what they want, then they love the riches, but not the person. And the moment a rough patch happens, guess what's going to happen? They're going to they're bounce. And especially if there's no prenuptial, they're like, okay, I, my life is set. Love is not based on what I can get. Love is based on what I can give. Love gives, and God is love. 
and so he's a giver. And when I come to God in love, I will never offer God that which costs me nothing. Even my life, when I offer him my life, whatever the cost, God take it. Because I know that without you, I can do nothing. I believe it when you say, Jesus, that we are the vine, you are the vine and we are the branches. And without you, we can do nothing. I know, I see with my natural eyes that a branch that is removed from the vine may look green for a day. The chlorophyll is still in there, but it will soon wither. And so it is with me and with us. If we are not connected to you, O true vine, we will soon wither. But in you, there's the source of life. We will never perish. We will never perish. You, may, you will make us incorruptible. And so we love you because you first loved us. And God, I pray that you would continue to walk with us and talk with us and pour into us that we would never get to a point where we reject your truth, even when it's hard, even when it's bitter. God, deliver us from a spirit that only wants the sweet and not the bitter. You told the prophet Ezekiel to eat the whole scroll. He said, you said it'll be bitter in your mouth, but it'll be sweet in your belly. God, make that which is sweet in our bellies bubble up that we might be able to tolerate the bitter because there are some things in life that are bitter. And God, we're living in a time where people are calling bitter sweet and sweet bitter, but keep our minds stayed on you, that we would never go astray, that we would never be in this life like sheep without a shepherd. You're the good shepherd. You're the good shepherd who laid down your life for the sheep. And there are some today or some who might hear this recording at some time in the future. You've heard this message and you've never honestly given yourself away to him. You've never said, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't obeyed your voice. I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm sorry. Forgive me and take me to yourself. There's others you know that you strayed from the path. You haven't fallen out of love with him, but in your own way, you've given place to the devil. Not, may not have been something that was maliciously intended. It wasn't with Peter. It wasn't with Judas. But we have moments where our steps slide. But I want to be like David who says, when my steps slide, he enlarges my feet. In other words, he helps me to keep my balance. I'm almost about to slip and he enlarges me in such a way that I don't lose my balance. I don't fall. But even if you fall, you can get up. You can get up seven times. He'll purify you. He'll take you back. He's married to the backslider. God is not like men and women who will get so angry with you that they will cast you out forever. God won't do that. He loves you. His objective 
is to be with you forever and ever and ever. And he's continuing to call you. His heart breaks when you quench the spirit. His heart breaks when you don't obey his voice, when he knows what's, for, what's good for you and you choose that which is destructive because it looks good and it feels good. He wants to deliver you from destructive behavior. He wants to deliver you from the frustration in life when you know that you're disappointed because things didn't happen the way you thought they should. Today, you need to give your thoughts over to him. Let him be the Lord even of your thought life. He'll, he'll cause you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And those things that made you depressed, that make you anxious, that make you melancholy and sad, he'll give you joy. He'll give you peace because you will have a mind that stayed on him. He promised to keep you in perfect peace. Everyone whose mind is stayed on him. And so I want to make an invitation. There are people who are waiting to pray with you, to pray with you. If you want to give your life, they'll pray with you for that so that you know that you're not alone. If you're struggling with something and you want God to come and help, they'll pray with you for that. God is able to keep that which we commit unto him against that day. It's all about that day. Even the people who predicted that Jesus was a prophet, they said he is the prophet to come. And Malachi talked about that prophet who would come before that great and dreadful day. God's heart, God's aim, is to prepare me and you against that day. And he's able to keep that, that we commit to him. So why don't you commit your very life, commit all that you have to him, and he will keep it. And not only will he keep it, but nothing will be lost. Nothing will be lost with him. Nothing, because there's nothing that he doesn't see. Have you ever lost your keys or something and you rack your brain, you look and you can't find it? You got to search and search and search. That never happens with God. There's nothing that he doesn't see at all times. There's nothing that he doesn't know at all times. And so he knows your situation. He knows right where you are. He knows your situation better than you do because there's some stuff you do, you don't even know why you do it. You ask yourself, why did I do that? Why did I make my, that decision? How did I get here? God knows. Go to the one who knows. I just was forced to buy a new car because I lost my car in Hurricane Ida. And I was asking some questions and my wife, the first thing she said is, read the manual read the manual. I'm like, all these electronics, read the manual. The manufacturer, the one who made the car, knows more about it than anyone else. And if I need instruction about what to do and when to do it for that car, 
I, all I need to do is go to the manufacturer's manual. Any product that you buy, that you buy legitimately, not on the black market, but legitimately, will have an owner's manual because the one who made it knows all about it. I want you to know the God who made you knows all about you. He knows all about you and he wants to, ex to expose you to the owner's manual. The owner's manual. It's all written. It's all there. If you need instruction, just go to the owner's manual. And it's called the Bible. So as you go to those who are ready to pray with you, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that with you, nothing is lost. You sent your son from heaven to earth with a mission that everything that you've given him, nothing should be lost. And so God, we who were once lost have now been found. We thank you for finding us because we didn't choose you, you chose us. You sought us out, our beloved. We were your beloved and you sought us out in the affairs of our life. Some of us were in deep ditches and you pulled us up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. Others were comfortable with our lives, not even realizing that our behavior was destructive. And you brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And God, we're grateful. We come today just to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming our lives from destruction. And God, may we always remember and never forget that we need your bread daily. Feed us daily. Feed us bread of heaven till we want no more. And continue, oh God, lest we get puffed up and proud and arrogant in our ways and self-righteous. Let us know that we need a savior. We never stop needing you. There is no branch that doesn't need the vine. The branch never grows so strong that it can separate from the vine and create its own life. The life of the branch is in the vine. And our life, God, is in you. And nothing can separate us from your love. What can separate us from the love of God? Neither life nor death. Death. Not heights nor deaths, not sword or famine, not peril, not angels or principalities, not things present nor things to come are able to separate us from your love that is in Christ Jesus. And so God, now my prayer for everyone that's listening is that you would take us deeper that you would take us higher, that you would take us further, and that you would show us minute by minute, moment by moment, what it is that you would have us to do. For without you, we can do nothing. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And by him we give thanks and say amen. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.